0: dad poet society trigger warning mentions of suicide addiction and other sensitive topics hey guys hey welcome back to dead dad poet society i'm anna and i'm lily and yeah welcome to our first like real official Official episode. episode So guys, we decided to do a fun segment to intro all of our podcasts to kind of keep it light, keep it fresh, keep it fun, especially because I think this episode is going to get like a little bit intense. Definitely. I'll have your side. Um, So my dad wrote us these lunch notes every week that were super long and in-depth and Always crazy. included. Always included footnotes. Yeah. Super crazy. We'll definitely get to some of those in the podcast, but... The way that he would find something to talk about if he didn't automatically have something to talk about was he would go to the front page of Yahoo News and see what was up in the world and kind of riff off of it. So we're just gonna look at like two things that are on the front page of Yahoo News and just give our like little thoughts and opinions just as kind of a light little intro to something that is heavy and it's also just an opportunity for us to chat because we love to chat. Yes, Um, so we have it pulled up right now. There's a lot of heavy stuff in the news right now so we're just kind of gonna go through some fun topics just because today's uh piece of writing is a little heavy so we want we want it to be a little bit light and fresh and fun yeah so we're seeing that um which i actually did see a TikTok about this last night because that's where i get my news um the heiress of disney i think her name's literally Lori disney or something wait what's her name i'm pretty sure it's Lori disney abigail disney okay her name's so I, her name is Abigail Disney, and she literally cha- like, chained herself outside of the Hamptons airport to protest the use of private jets um, because Sleigh. of their environmental impact, which... Taylor Swift can never. Yeah, way to use your impact and your status as an heiress to make a change in the world. So we stand the singular heiress along with heiress Anna Delvey. Anna um, Delvey's not an actual heiress. I know, but that's... I'm being silly. Oh, okay, well, silly fact segment. check. Anna Delvey isn't an heiress. So. Yeah, okay, so Lily does not like when I'm silly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's like a slave from her. I mean, I don't have like too much to say about that other than private jets are objectively not a good thing, and that is good. And Taylor Swift needs to check herself. Eco-terrorist. Yeah. Like Taylor, I stand you, but let's be real. Um. Okay. And then the other thing is about um, Ariana Grande and Dalton Gomez's divorce. Yeah. So who shocked? Not me. Not me. Also, um, the way that she literally married the most like mid. Not even like he. Honestly, his face looks so annoying. Like his face yeah. bothers me. Yeah. Also, I a mean, luxury even- real estate, and he's not even like a realtor. He gets celebrity clients for the realtors to sell houses to. He's, like, a recruiter of people to oh, buy. Oh, God. And I feel like, apparently, from what I've heard, one of his first big clients was Ariana. So he oh. wasn't very, He lived with his parents before. There's Ew. nothing wrong with living with your parents, but going from living with your parents to moving in with Ariana Grande. And being, and apparently for him, a la Joe Alwyn. A la Joe Alwyn. He was, like, yeah, like the, like, the fame was just too much for him, and he was, like, mad when she, like, needed security to go out in public. And it's, like, babes, like, She's one of the most famous people and on she planet had a, Earth. She was targeted by and a terrorist attack. She had attack. a terrorist attack occur at one of her concerts. Like. So he's just the problem is these beautiful, successful, amazing women, you know, and I can't say anything about their their morality, but I will say they're both extremely talented and successful in their fields, are kind of just dating long-term or marrying these kind of nothing men and it's okay to be a nothing man but not when you're with ariana grande or taylor swift and then you're a fucking loser about it you can be a nothing man to a beautiful per like to a beautiful, talented she woman. he can be Barbie, he can be just Ken. Right. But you have to be okay with being And you have to support, and you have to be supportive. You can't try to, and that, and that's a trend, of course, like, we've been seeing with, like, men. They're attracted to these powerful and talented women. That's what draws them to them, and then they want to dull their sparkle. It's so not a new true. thing. Even Christian Walker has been saying this. He's been coming out with some really base takes. We're therapy. not Christian Walker stands, Nope. Every so often he'll say something. No, he is. And people, are, everyone has forgotten that he was, like, incredibly problematic. Like, people stand him now because he is coming out with very base takes. For example his take on Ariana Grande and Dalton yeah. Gomez. I know but is he still saying like... He doesn't really say anything about what he was saying About before. politics? Okay. Well, well no, can be, grow and like, But his politics, I don't know he's probably still a Republican I just He think was a funny. Trumpy Yeah, I don't... Anyway People can grow and change. Maybe even Christian Walker. But I'll never forgive someone who voted for Trump. but Yeah I do think the Ariana Grande thing is very emblematic of a constant problem that is plaguing our beautiful A-tier celebrity women. Mm. And and, 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 this is such a, and this is such an important social and it's issue. it's such an important social issue that, like, it was really near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So we're starting to actually foundation. As, <laughs> as fellow A-list women, it is so hard for us yeah. to find partners and who are okay with our power and our... And our fame. Actually, ironically, my partner... I am not, in fact, not quite an A-list celebrity, but my You're partner part of the has often said that they feel like, um, I will swallow them whole in <laughs> social settings. Um, they're more on the introverted side and I evidently am not. And, um, apparently, um, my shine is just too bright and sometimes I can take the shine away from everyone else. So true. I think that men can, I think it is a thing that men have trouble You know, with women who are either more universally beloved than them, more successful than them. You know, that's something that we will talk about in later episodes of the podcast. Mm, Good point. Not appreciating your girl. But I'm really happy for Ariana Grande, even though obviously, like, she's had some really bad luck and... As much as if you're like, oh, you don't have to feel bad for the super rich, like whatever woman. She's honestly struggled with some very serious things in life. I think the Mac Miller thing especially gave me a lot of empathy for her because obviously it's very different with like Mac Miller versus my dad, but loving someone who struggles with addiction mm-hmm. and you lose too early is a very tough thing that can send you spiraling and make some silly decisions. You know. So Ariana Grande, come on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> Ariana Grande, come on the pod. Let's talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. thank you next was a was the album of my freshman year of college and i feel like we have a lot to talk about so she's would be an iconic guest We'll will to the list of dream guests <laughs> right now so yeah we stand taylor should come on the pod also to talk about having an excellent father uh, <laughs> whose strength is making you stronger because we'd love to know what that's like <laughs> and with that on to the content of this episode on to the content of this episode slay obviously we're still kind of working out the format But we do have an actual, real live piece of writing today. Um, This is something that my dad wrote to the both of us, I think in like 2014. Yeah, so this one's kind of a heavy one to start Mm -hmm. off with. But we wanted something that kind of covered a lot of the themes and ideas we're going to be discussing on this podcast for our first episode. We wanted something that my dad had written specifically to us. We wanted something that kind of shows where he was at and his thought process and kind of the things that he thought about his life and his writing process. Um, So this will not be as fun and light of an episode as a lot of them will be. I will say, I think a lot of the stuff that we have, if not the majority of the stuff that my dad has written, is really funny or just kind of interesting about pop culture, life, or like really fun to make fun of. Like some of his university essays cute stuff, lovey stuff, showing, like, how loving of a father he was. This this one's a little on the heavier side, but I think, you know, it's an important place to start from. Um, And then we'll move into some lighter stuff in later episodes. Yeah, so he... This was an email that he sent to us in 2014 where he was apologizing um, for something... It's, he goes into detail. We're kind of going to skip that part. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of lost his temper, got upset about something. The details aren't too important. Yeah, we don't need to rehash that. This is a conversation that was had many a time. I, <laughs> in particular, think I got like a lot of apology emails from him. And he was like, you don't have to read this, but very a la Phoebe And Richards. I often did not because I don't think I really read his um his serious stuff too often it made me incredibly uncomfortable I think I usually read his apologies but I didn't even read his birthday letters they made me uncomfortable I'm sorry that's actually really evil to say and maybe that's why I'm doing this because I feel incredibly guilty for I don't think it's evil anyway (laughs) I just think yeah a lot of it he was an intense guy yeah and the intensity is a lot for a lot of people that's what people feel about me yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but your intensity is a little bit different, I would say. Um, I chat, I- do you guys find my texts too intense? Let me know. I actually do write like extremely long, flowery texts to like my friends, telling them how much I love them, which is very a la dad. My texts are usually more like when I'm high. Last night when I was high, I texted Josie like, I think I know why you don't annoy me as much as other people annoy me. And she was like, like what? And I was like, it's because I understand where you're coming from. I I have been exactly where you have been in all aspects of life. And I think we are soulmates in some. And she's like, yeah. And then I look back and I'm like, that was kind of weird to me. I love how in this podcast, we will not only be exposing ourselves and our dad it's also any random person oh, we interact you are with are actually all you're all on the chopping um, block on the chopping block so, so if you've ever interacted with us in any you're liable um, to be discussed you actually like, signed waivers um, yeah and you just didn't know the it. the terms and conditions yeah were... the terms and conditions happen when you come into contact with us <laughs> sorry you've been warned i promise if i want to say anything too terrible i will ask your permission and maybe we'll even interview some of you guys yeah if you're interesting enough if you're in so yeah which you know prove yourselves useful no one is as interesting as us but that's okay <laughs> well, obviously okay and now we begin first piece of dad writing we have on the podcast so he started off his letter with dear pumpkin and bug which were his little nicknames for us i am bug I am pumpkin. Um, And it's pumpkin, not with an M, with an N. So it's P-U-N apostrophe K-I-N. So that is our cute little nickname. Important distinction. Very important. And he did call us that throughout our entire lives. It never went away. Yes, it never went away. So this first paragraph kind of was just apologizing. And to his credit, my dad was pretty good at apologizing. He had a lot of practice. (laughs) He went into specifics of what he did wrong and said why they were wrong and apologized for those things. And I don't know, I think as far as male apologizing goes, Mm. he was pretty good at it, at least to us, and like taking responsibility, wish he didn't have to do it as often. Mm. But that is a credit to him and credit where credit is due. So do you want to read the first paragraph that we are going to read after his more specific apology? (laughs) Sure. How I am feeling right now is just something I occasionally have to deal with. Yes, depression is part of my DNA, but just as much, maybe even more so, I believe it is a product of some not so great life experiences. You are not doomed to be burdened by depression because you share my genes. And you fortunately have not shared and will not share the experiences that unfortunately have affected me. At the same time, if ever you do struggle with depression, you will have an all but unlimited supply of support and resources to help you manage it. I will be among these resources along with Mommy and Danny, and basically an army of Anna and Lily champions. So a shout out to all you Anna and Lily champions out there. Y'all are real ones. Yeah, there's a lot of you. Okay, so much to unpack here just in this first paragraph. Um, So I think the first thing that really stands out to me is my dad talking about the burden of his experiences and how we will not have to share the experiences that unfortunately have affected him, which, of course, one of those is his dad's suicide, which... Unfortunately, it's something that we had to experience ourselves. Um, Although I believe that my dad chose to do it at a very different time in our lives, in which he felt like we had a proper support system. Whereas with his dad, it was definitely, there was not as much forethought into how it it would affect him, his life. Yeah, I'm actually the same age as my dad was when his dad killed himself. Or actually, my dad might have been a year younger. So we're like around the same age. But I do think obviously the circumstances were very different, and we can go like a lot more into that. But there's also a lot of other circumstances that my dad went through. His mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer when he was six years old. And it was known she was going to die since then, but she didn't die until he was in his junior year of college, I'm pretty sure. And then his dad took his own life a year later. So I think being orphaned at that age is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And his brother, Brian, our uncle, um, was five years older than him. And they were close at times. They were not close at other times. They had a difficult relationship due to the difficult circumstances they were put into from a young age. And they loved each other a lot and were important support systems for each other at certain points in their lives. But I think... Especially towards the end. Especially of towards the end. Our dad's life, which we are forever grateful for because, um, you know, there were times when my dad would be at his house for long periods of time. And Brian was always so happy to have him. Yeah. Brian and my dad, you know, had kind of a tough relationship for a while, but really reconciled within the past like five or six years. And that took an immense burden off of me in that time period. And I'm Mm -hmm. very grateful for it, but it was just, there's a lot of tough circumstances in my dad's life that, I think he was obviously genetically predisposed to depression. However, I think- Well, there's this conversation about, I mean, nature versus nurture is kind of like, it's kind of a silly, overwrought topic, in my opinion, in psychology at least. But, um, you know, with my dad specifically looking at both his genetic disposition um, and his traumatic history, I think there's no point in trying to decide what was ultimately responsible um, for his struggles in his life. But I think that's something that I think about a lot in my own mental health. I think it's something that everyone thinks about. Everyone who struggled with mental health has at one point or another wondered, you know, if things were different in my life, would I have been okay? Would I have, you know, would I have struggled? Would I I still have struggled like I do now? Um, And I think that what he's saying here is like, how important and and, um, lucky we are that we have the resources to, I've struggled with my mental health since a young age. I was, you know, in therapy since the third grade. And I think my dad probably saw and probably envied. And I think he he told me many times how he envied, um, how many resources were available to me at such a young age. And I'm sure that he thinks about, you know, what could have been different if he had, been given those resources and if he had been born in a different time when mental health was um so much more well researched and well-funded yeah and I think that's kind of clear in what he's talking about how we're not doomed to be burdened by depression um but if we ever do we have a lot of supportive resources and I will say I feel really lucky to have been raised in a household where my dad was extremely understanding due to his own circumstances and my mother was extremely understanding due to just like being a rock star yeah and if any of us ever needed any like therapy or were thinking about medication or just like mental support or help with stuff they were always right there especially my mom just because she was better equipped yeah and um, there was no there was never shame or stigma to the point where a lot of my friends growing up will tell me you know one of the first things I remember about you was that you would run around in elementary school talking about your anxiety disorder and the medications that you were on in therapy um In a time when, you know, now I think therapy is super normalized, but it wasn't that normal, especially for a third grader in the early 2000s. And I think that's just a product of how normal my family made it seem and how ready and willing they were to, you know, immediately take action, which my mom's a Capricorn. So if there's one thing she'll do, it's take action. So true. And like, I have a lot of friends from growing up who I think I spend a lot of time observing people with mental illness. I have my own stuff happening, but I think I always felt like the people around me were going through it more than me, especially when I was younger, um, from like my dad to my sister. And so I spent a lot of time diagnosing my friends with things. And a lot of times they'd speak to their parents. Their parents, you know, I think it's hard to accept when your kid comes to you and they're like, I have generalized anxiety. disorder," And you're like, what? Um, Especially, I don't know, even different generation. it was really different yeah and my mother was the mom who called a lot of moms right. and said I think your kid should be on medication I yep. think your kid should be there in therapy and now a lot of my friends are <laughs> shout out to and Jill and they have Jill Chesson to thank yeah, for that they have Jill Chesson to thank for that she's literally an iconic some rockstar. may say that she is um a secret weapon of the of big pharma so true the amount of people that she's she, medicated. that and... woman is a SSRI warrior <laughs> Um, And, you know, a lot of us do need to be on SSRIs. I think a lot of us have fallen down the path of, you know, SSRIs are evil or, you know, big pharma's a thing and we hate big pharma. At the same time, um, we live in a hellscape and also a lot of us could probably use a little bit of Zoloft and like, that's okay. Let's like, I feel like there's balance between like, take a pill for every problem you could ever have. And like, I'm gonna deal with this all on my own and meditate instead of like being properly medicated. Thank you, Lily. So true. (laughs) And so my dad talks about how we're not doomed to struggle with depression. However, I think we've both had our brushes with it, or at least depressive periods. Mm. I think we're both genetically predisposed to it. But I don't think either of us have struggled with it at all to the severity that my dad or his dad struggled with. Probably in big part due to the support system we've had and our life circumstances. Um, And I feel very lucky for that because I never want to... I've always wanted to understand my father, but the more I grow up, the less I feel the need to live inside his head. Yeah. Shout out Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers. Okay. So moving on to the next paragraph of this apology letter, my dad said, my own dad loved me, but he was deeply flawed and he did not have the resources or the self-awareness to equip him successfully to battle or even acknowledge his challenges. And on the whole, he made my life, my brother's life and my mom's life, well, quite difficult. And ultimately he was not there for me and his legacy is not a good one. I've tried, but this is something I've never quite resolved or otherwise gone peace with. And it has a habit of now and then creeping up in my consciousness. And usually I don't even know why it's a lifelong process, I guess, but I have made some progress. Yeah. So again, obviously a lot to unpack there, which, you know, the stuff about his relationship with his dad, again, is super complicated and that's something that we'll probably go into more detail about um, at a later date. Um, One thing that I do want to point out though is that basically that was all like two sentences. My dad was infamous for his use of em dashes and semicolons and like literally could go on and on in one sentence forever just with like his gratuitous use of semicolons. And now I use so many em dashes and semicolons and I don't even really know what a semicolon is. So true, there was three periods in that paragraph. Um, which definitely says something about my dad's writing, uh, that I love to this day, but a lot of people do not love. Yeah. Um, but for his relationship with his dad, it's always been interesting. I think growing up when he would talk to me about his dad, it usually didn't really come from a place of positivity. He often told me the story of when he first came to his parents in high school and told them that he thought he might be depressed. And his dad said, well, you must be on drugs because that's not real. And his dad took his own life like five years later. So obviously his dad was struggling with similar things, but wouldn't acknowledge it. Um, His dad was in the military, in the Air Force specifically. They moved around a lot. That culture I don't think is very conducive, especially at that period to dealing with this kind of stuff. The culture is conducive to alcoholism though. So true. As my dad liked to say, the Air Force is a drinking club first and foremost. No offense to so all those people. No offense to... Well, okay. I'm not going to say no offense to our... We won't discuss the military at this junction. Yeah. We can do um, an episode... No, just kidding. We're never doing an episode on the military. Probably not. Complex. Oh, I don't know how that would fit in. I will say that... We love that could figure out a way. Looking through... Well, we could find a way. We could find a way. We will probably find a way to talk about capitalism in one of these podcasts. Um, Looking through my dad's archive of, you know, letters and emails and whatnot, I definitely think that that's... um made my view of his father and his relationship with his father way more nuanced seeing things that he wrote to his father and seeing the things that his father wrote to him um definitely shows that there was a lot of love there between them and i think my dad holds a lot of anger and resentment towards his dad for very understandable and obvious reasons he orphaned him yeah um so totally makes sense like on purpose well, I don't think that was his main goal no, in but what he did. I feel like that would feel like such a personal attack. Yeah, yeah, Um, And I definitely think he blames his dad for not taking his depression seriously. But I also think that he saw a lot of his dad himself, which scared him. Reading one of the letters that he wrote to his dad, you know, he talks about how he sees a lot of his dad in himself. And I think that's probably why he's so hard on his dad, because... He's also really hard on himself, as you guys can probably tell. I mean, I always grew up thinking of his dad as kind of this villain. But then randomly, I talked to my Uncle Brian, who was like, your grandpa is the best man ever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would be like, "Okay." So there's some Some interesting interesting perspectives here. And I think the first time I got kind of a more nuanced understanding of that was when I graduated high school. My dad showed me a letter that his dad wrote to him when he graduated high school. And like my dad's writing, it was very long. It was very flowery. It kind of repeated how much he loved him. How much how wonderful of a person that my grandpa thought my dad was. Which, as a caveat, I think the difference between um, his dad and my dad is that my dad would also tell us these things daily and constantly tell us how much he loved us and was proud of us. And I think the difference is that this letter was such a big deal to my dad because he so rarely got that validation from his dad. True, but I did ask my I did ask dad, and dad told me that his dad said "I love you" every single day. So I think there's obviously it brings up the question of like, what is a legacy? How do you remember people? What sticks out most in your mind? I think about that with my dad all the time. And the idea that my dad never quite resolved or have gone in peace with the idea of his dad and what his legacy is, is something that we're obviously trying to address with our own dad on this very podcast. I think I, it hasn't been long, but I think even before my dad died, I made a lot of peace with realizing what my ideas were of him versus who he was and what that leaves me with and what that leaves behind. And um, I think I feel lucky that I was able to grapple with this stuff now that my dad's dead, but also when he was alive kind of with him because I think that gives me a lot more to work with. than I think my dad had with his dad. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we've both talked about how we felt like we were mourning him Way before he even died, we used the term mourning. We were mourning who we thought he was, who he used to be. Um, my dad, as his depression, as his illness got worse, he changed a lot, and I think a lot of people who were in his life during during that time, um, we all saw it, and we were all mourning the man that he was, either in our heads or um, in real life, and trying to you know figure out who he actually was and what that means for us. I think I go, you know what Anna said about um, feeling at peace to a certain extent. I think I go through phases of feeling almost completely at peace and feeling absolutely, totally unable to even wrap my mind around a single thing that's happened which is normal. The grieving process is super insane. We'll probably do an episode on that because I don't know. Personally, I'm not in a good place when it comes to the grieving process. Um, I think obviously going through all of this stuff is bringing up a lot of um, emotions that I haven't felt in a really long time. It's bringing me back to my early childhood, which I have pretty fond memories of my early childhood when it comes to my dad. So remembering stuff like this is weird because I like to think that until I was like 14 years old, my dad was like perfect and I loved him and there was nothing wrong with him. Um, So I think that's harder for me at the current moment. Yeah, that's so fair. I I think we both dealt with the mortality of my dad very differently when he was alive. I think I spent a lot of time thinking about it and contemplating it and preparing myself for it in a way that I was like, I don't want to leave anything unsaid. I want to like make sure I have like not a single regret about it. And obviously there are always going to be things that you look back upon. You're like, I wish I could have changed that. But I think I was really fixated on this, especially in the past couple of years, which I think a lot of people didn't think was very healthy. And I think there are definitely arguments to be made about how it's unhealthy, but I honestly think it has helped me. And like Lily said, I think we're going to do a whole episode about that because I have a lot to say about that. And I think we both do. Yeah. For me, I feel like I, I there's so much that I didn't say to him in the past few years because I distanced myself so much. And now I do kind of regret it, but I also know that I was saving myself from so much heartache and pain. Um, and I, my relationship with my dad was basically as much as I could handle. Um, so I can't, I I just, of course I have regrets about that, but I've I've been trying not to let the regret take over my entire brain. So true. And that shall be expanded upon in another fun, happy episode. Yes, our next super cheerful episode. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to just continue. As my dad wrote, Since becoming a dad, I have devoted considerable effort to not being like Cliff Cork and also to putting an end to a generational history of unhappiness. I don't think my dad had it all that great with his dad either. I have been mostly successful, but I sometimes fall short. In these times, I ask only that you remember that nothing ever will change the fact that I love you and like you and cherish you more than you can know. That I want the best imaginable lives for you and that central to my life is my fatherhood to you. I absolutely love being your daddy. The best thing that's ever happened to me is you. So true. So if you've ever wondered why Lily and I have egos. <laughs> we really were the center of my dad's universe. I mean. Yeah. And I felt that very strongly throughout my entire life. Which, yeah. It's it's a it was a burden and it's a burden that we felt constantly. Um, but it was also such a gift, I think. Yeah. I always feel like no one will ever probably love me as much as my dad and probably no one ever should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think, you know, at the beginning, he talks about having devoted considerable effort to not being like his dad. And as much as there's many, many, many parallels to be drawn, (laughs) we will be continuing to draw over the course of this podcast, especially with how little we know about his dad. Um, I think the legacy he's left for me and my feelings about him are very different than he had about his dad, partially because of how I've chosen to think about it and the reality of my own brain chemistry compared to my dad's, but also because of work he put in. And I do think that he really prioritized us. Even I feel like people think suicide is like a very selfish thing, but even the way that everything went down, most of the time I didn't feel Like he was being selfish or not prioritizing me in the way it all Because we always, you can always tell that he had us in mind. And um, I always thought that suicide was a super selfish thing. And I, you know, I, one of my friends, I lost one of my friends to suicide when I was in high school. Um, You know, I've struggled with suicidal ideation basically my whole life. And I was always like, well, there's a difference between a teenage girl taking her life and a father. You know, he's a father, he's a parent. It's, he was selfish. And almost immediately after it happened, all of that anger kind of dissipated for me because I think seeing how he did it and um, the, the time in which he did it and also just knowing how much he was struggling and how he felt like he was truly a detriment to our lives, even though, you know, obviously he added so much to our lives as well. Um, I've never, I've, I have not once considered what he did um, to be selfish since it actually happened. I think I have a lot of ideas about anger and the feeling and how quickly feelings can change when someone passes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be like a whole episode onto itself that we can definitely expand upon that. But I do think ultimately he did put an end to a generational history of unhappiness. I think he raised us to be pretty happy people. And I feel like both of us have very happy lives Mm -hmm. and we're both really doing exactly what we want to be doing and being surrounded by the people we want to be surrounded with. And I think he knew that. And I think he definitely knew that. And one of the the last texts he sent to me, which I'm not going to like read it maybe someday, but it wasn't like a whole thing, but he made it very clear that he was very happy and at peace with the way that I was living my life. And that brought him a lot of happiness and peace, which I find very comforting to this day. And I reread that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And also shout out to my dad for recognizing um, the effects of generational trauma and trying to put an end to that cycle. So um, true. Unfortunately, we couldn't escape the whole generational trauma of you're not um, killing yourself. No, more just so, like, I was more talking about the general generational trauma of Judaism. We are very (laughs) neurotic people. Also, um, his Irish side, um, we... Certainly no. I shouldn't make a joke about the potato famine. Never mind. No jokes about the potato famine. No, the potato famine. That was the British fault. Yeah, that was so really. We don't, a, we don't even. Well, to that's that. it wasn't. Jo- okay. Okay. Anyway, there's there's layers to this. Um, there's layers to the potato famine. So our but- next episode is going to be a debate about the potato famine and whether or not it actually happened. Yeah, and it's also going to be a debate about whether or not that is the reason for all of our problems today, mm. as um somewhat descended. Next into time, Irish. next time I wrong someone, I'm gonna say, guys. You can blame the potato famine for that. Um, So love to blame everything but myself. And I do think we both struggled with mental health stuff. I, particularly in the past couple of years, have dealt with, I call it my dad's melancholia. But it is a depression like a lot of people have experienced, I think, in the pandemic. And if you knew me my last years of college, you probably either observed it or were like, what's up with that girl? Um, Now you know. Now you know. But... I think the extent of my dad and his dad's issues and the despair and loneliness that they felt has very much been ended. And I am manifesting that continues for our entire lives. Yeah. Also shout out to um, this phrase that my dad often said, um, I love you and I like you. So true. Um, I feel like my dad always saw, I think other people, like people our age, like our peers and friends, have noticed this too. Um, my dad always treated us even as we were little, even when we were little kids. My dad always treated us like we were people, like we were full, yeah. whole people whose opinions and thoughts um deserve to be heard and respected and responded to. And I think, you know, the I love you and I like you thing, obviously, you know, it's, you know, you love someone because they're your family member and because you have to, you know, we're his children, he has to love us. But him also liking us, it's not only like, okay, yeah, you know, you you like who I am as a person and everything. It's, he felt like we we deserved that, the dignity and respect of being told that we were likable people. And, you know, we're not likable to everyone. Which, so yeah, a and, good thing. yeah and I think like, I just, I think that that um, being told that I was both loved and liked growing up has had a profound impact on my self-esteem. So true. I feel like neither of us have ever been people talk about women feeling like their voices aren't valuable. I feel like we both Oh always know. We most definitely overvalue our voices. Yeah, which yeah is better than we're just feminists. Like I don't know what else it's just to tell feminism. you. Feminism. Like white, white feminism, perhaps, but a type of feminism. A feminism, nevertheless. Nevertheless. No, that's not a good no, no. no. Intersectional feminism is important. But however, I do think as young women, it was always a good thing that our voices were heard. And I actually, when my dad passed away, I got a lot of texts from my friends. Kind of saying similar things that, you yeah. know, the time they spent with him growing up, they always felt like he addressed them like people yeah, He saw Rebecca their value. That. Yeah, like Ava said, like I had a lot of friends who said that and that was a really nice thing to hear because I feel like that was one of the best traits about my dad is that he made you feel very seen. And moving on to the next smaller paragraph, he said, it's also critical to keep in mind that my depression does not define me, though admittedly, when I'm feeling this way, it does have a nasty way of dominating my world and I'd like to think that there's much more good to me than bad. More important, I hope you feel that way. So my dad cared what we thought about him a lot. I think this letter kind of shows, you know, him him explaining his behavior. Also for the record, I was like 14 and Lily was like oh, 11 probably. or 12. Yeah, so, so it's like pretty important to, to point out that we were both incredibly young at the time. It's both like a lot to put on someone and also kind of like radical transparency. yeah. I have like complicated feelings about how I feel about how honest my dad was about something, yeah. how dishonest he was about other things. Yep. I think in some ways it benefited us, in some ways it didn't. I think it defined, in particular, my relationship with my dad. He was very honest with me and he leaned on me a lot, which is the reason we're so close. And I feel like I wouldn't trade that for the world. However, would I recommend that no. as a way to parent children? Potentially not. <laughs> So there's still a lot up in there, the air, you know. You know. Yeah, like it's when when you are so obviously going through something to the point where you cannot be in your child's life in the way that you wish you could be. I think it's it, it's hard to just kind of be like, oh, I'm not feeling well and leave it at that. Because I remember my dad couldn't come to our piano recital and it was just the explanation was like he's not feeling well. I was like, well, fuck that. Like that's annoying. He should be here. So I think. Growing up and, you know, I think I was exposed to things that probably in a better way, like a lot of the stuff, like, for example, learning about my grandfather's suicide came from my sister, kind (laughs) of like she kind of was the one who told me a lot of this stuff. I love to share a little bit of gossip, a little tea, (laughs) a little bit of tea. Um, I remember exactly where I was sitting when I was informed that he did not have a heart attack. Um uh, I used to tell people that he died jumping out of a plane to save someone's life because I think he like kind of did that well, at he one point did, like he yeah. did win a medal in the in yeah. Korea. So I decided that that's how he died. Yeah. Um but I think um honesty when it comes to parent-child relationships is something that I have a lot of opinions on, but I also don't think that there's like one way to do it because I do kind of appreciate being treated like an actual person and feeling like I was respected enough to And trusted enough to be able to know what was going on. Agreed. And my dad talking about how I like to think that there's much more good to me than bad. I think I go through phases with this. Mm -hmm. I think 99% of the time, I do think that there's ultimately more good to him than bad. In the last couple years of his life, there were times where I was really frustrated and I felt very down about him as a person. When he died, a lot of that was washed away. I think a couple things that have happened since he died... Made me re question that stuff. Some revelations. Some revelations um, that we will talk about later. But I, and he, you know, he said, there's more good to me than bad. More important, I hope you feel that way. Ultimately, I think I always will. I always think that even if the way that he lived his life, some of which can be attributed to his mental illness, some of it, which cannot be, um, is not something I always agree with or there's things that make me disappointed in him. I think a lot of my morals and a lot of my idea of like what it is to be a good moral person in this world, especially philosophically came from him. I think I have a lot of examples of being examples of actually being a good person, such as like my mom and Danny, a lot of other adults in my life. But I think the, the, the philosophy of being a moral, good person so much of that came from him and I'll always have that. But I also think as leftists and as, you know, anti carceral um, people, I think that we believe that most people have more yeah. good than than bad, and, and almost and everybody- Anne Frank stands, <laughs> yeah, and almost everybody has, you know, good and s- things to contribute to the world, and you know, the people that you love, obviously, you will see more good in them than others. I also think that, you know, my dad struggled with OCD, as do I, and I am constantly struggling with this idea of am I a good person or am I a bad person, which if you ask me that question about anyone else, do you think they're a good person or a bad person? I usually say I don't believe in good or bad people. Um, sometimes I'm really mad at someone. I'll say I think she's just like a bad person, but I usually don't mean it because I don't really think that that's a useful thing to label people as, but I I just I can really relate to my dad's obsession with, you know, am I am I more good? Am I more bad? You want to read the next one? Or should I? I think you read the last one. Yes. So. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you are so annoying. And I was just like, yeah, well, the last paragraph I read was kind of short. That's literally like when okay, I feel like most people have memories of reading in class as like being something really nerve-wracking and stressful. And for me, I was like it's so competitive. I was so pissed when I got like the short paragraph. Yeah. I wanted to read, I wanted my voice to be heard for as long as possible. It's like at Passover Seder when like we go around the table and like you get. A paragraph, oh my god, and if it's yes, short and you get the short and you get like short story then you the really short. and you have the make your performance. Yeah. I That's, mean we get that from dad. Oh it's for like sure. uh yeah. But we, I mean, it's not like mom is exactly me. No, um, I mean, but just the whole like, we will be the ones reading this. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. To continue my dad's words. I will be fine. And as I've also often told you, it is not your job to worry about me. Your job is to continue to be the wonderful young ladies you are and to seek out the best possible lives for yourselves every day. Your thoughts and concerns belong with friends and school and clothes and iPhones and Taylor Swift and all the ups and downs that come with being a teenager or a bug, in your case, an almost teenager. Every once in a while, when I'm going through something like I'm experiencing right now, it's hard for me to be front and center for you, at least physically. But even in my worst times, my love for you is inviolate. That means it can't be changed and never will go away. And I'm with you in my heart and in yours. And I will never, ever abandon you. So, so that made me like literally sob yeah, when, when I first read, read that. We read, this, we read this last night. And there were, yeah. I had like a two hour long panic attack. Like I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. So definitely better that we're reporting this today. Because <laughs> I feel like we've been able to process yeah. and think about some things. It's a lot to read from your dad who ultimately... Co- killed himself I will never abandon you Yeah, you know in a way it's like yeah you kind of did but also you know I I think I think it's fine that you feel like that I also I also don't feel like that at all you don't feel abandoned at all I think the way he said I will never ever ever abandon you right after talking about how his dad killed himself yeah no and I get that <laughs> <laughs> and I understand your feelings and your feelings are valid I think the way that I've been processing this, I think I'm not like a religious person, but spiritually I do feel like he's still here and I don't feel abandoned. I feel like I've gotten like a lot of like little signs, whether it's like the butterflies or like certain songs coming out at certain times. And I feel like, like, He had shown up for us as much as he could have when he was alive. And I really don't think he was able to do that anymore, like at all. And I think, you know, maybe there's some woo-woo mystical afterlife that he's physically standing next to me right now and like sending me signs. But if he isn't, I think that the way that he's with me is like, I am a part of him and you are a part of him. And the only way that he was able to be with us is... Through the stuff that he's already given us and like the time that he's already given us, the knowledge he's already given us, the love that he's already given us. And I feel like he gave us so much of that stuff when he was alive. And I feel very much like I got more from my dad of that stuff when he was alive in the 23 years that I had him than a lot of my friends got from their dads or just their parents and ever will in their lifetimes. And hopefully they'll have their dads for a lot longer. But I feel like he left me with so much and he left me with everything that he could possibly leave with me. Sometimes he left us with too many things that we wish that we were not in possession of both mentally and also letters and such. (laughs) But I do feel, I don't feel abandoned because I feel like he gave to me every single thing he could have given me in that specific respect, and that will continue to be with me. Which I know sounds kind of like woo woo and cheesy, but I think that's legitimately how I'm feeling right now. Right, I could no, definitely I'm just laughing change. at the way you say woo woo instead of woo woo. Woo woo <laughs> woo woo woo. Sorry, sorry. Um, I went to a Big Ten school, Lily. We're wooing. Um, But yeah, that's how I feel right now. It could change, but that's how I've been feeling. Personally, my favorite part of this entire thing is that this proves once and for all that we were Swifties so before true. any of you bitches. So true. So the amount of touch references that my dad made, yeah. like all of his yeah. letters to so us, you, all So you guys know, so, just so you bitches know, like, oh, so you guys are going to the Arrows tour now, and you guys are like, oh yeah, I've always been. To I've Swifties. always been a fan base. I loved Love Story. Yeah, um, and then in high school, you made fun about, of me for liking during 1989 and Rep. Huh? Yeah, where were you then? Where were you when we Snake Gate happened? Because we were, at we were fighting in the trenches, and we were. at rep. Have you ever been told to kill yourself? by a One Direction stand on Tumblr? No, you haven't. Yeah. Or maybe you were if you were a One Direction stand, but that was that was, that was was like One Direction stand on One Direction stand crime. It doesn't count. Yeah, so... so were you fighting in the trenches? No. So basically... Enough that your father knew about it. My, my about late it. father's letter apologizing for his behavior, including Taylor Swift, I think really just goes to show how... Front and center, Taylor Swift was in our lives. Yeah, I mean the list of things that are important to us: <laughs> friends, obviously; school, obviously; clothes. I mean, you have to clothe yourself. Yeah, iPhones. That's our way of communicating <laughs> with the world, and Taylor Swift. Those are the priorities. What there. else is there? What else is there? The um the the Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's of needs. hierarchy of needs. This is our Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, of yeah. Needs. I think it's like friends and school then clothes and iPhones, and then Taylor Swift is, like, enlightenment. Right. So, yeah. So, we reached enlightenment before you guys. I'm glad that you're all coming around now, but don't act like you've always been here. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That was important. That was an important point for us Just a little caveat. Anyway. I think one thing thing that my dad always made super, super clear was that his love for us never wavered. And... I think it's funny that he had to use a big word that he knew we wouldn't know so that he could explain it. And like, Mm -hmm. he really just could have said, like, my love for you is permanent. My love for you is infinite. But he had to use. I think he just wanted us to. He just wanted to broaden our vocabulary. So thanks. I mean, I guess thanks for that. And he did. And now we'll always know that word. Yeah. It's a good SAT word. Not that they do that in the SATs anymore. I also, I mean, him saying that it's not our job to worry about him, I think that's something that we were told repeatedly by many adults throughout the years. I think, I mean, it's, of course, we were going to worry about him. Um, and we did worry about him. And I think at times we did feel like it was our job to worry about him. Yeah. I mean, I think there were other people who were worrying about him, but especially at specific times, we were definitely the main ones. And I, I he, of course he didn't want that. And of course, I think. No, and he had a lot of guilt about that. He had that. a lot of guilt about that. But it's also something that I've talked about with some of the other adults in my life. Where, you know, everything is hindsight is 20, 20 And I really think that the other adults in my life did as good of a job as they could given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to have a good relationship with my father, but they also wanted to protect me. I think people have expressed now, like, I wish I kind of erred more on the side of protecting you rather than. Letting you be as close to your dad as you were. I don't really regret it. I know that why people who were taking care of me might regret it. But I was told a lot by people, it's not your job to take care of your dad. And then people kind of just kept letting me or not even letting me. It's more um, applauding me. Mm. They were applauding me for taking care of my dad. They'd be like, you shouldn't have to do that. But you're such a good daughter. You're so amazing. He's so lucky to have you. And my dad said that too. But a lot of adults in my life were like, wow, you're so you're you're received, such an amazing daughter. You received a lot of praise for that. Yeah. And so it's weird because I was told I shouldn't have to do that. But then I was also – Uh, like applauded for it so of course I kind of was incentivized literally what it's like to be underweight growing up so true (laughs) you should gain weight, but you look amazing yeah um I mean also my mom you know they were divorced my mom and dad were divorced since we were like little kids um but she took on such a big role in taking care of my dad I mean he lived with us at a certain point um, like she, us, as in me, my mom, and Danny and Lily, like when we had a new house, a my new mom was married to Danny. And he wasn't doing well. You know, he lived in our guest room for a bit. My mom was the person that would, you know, the hospitals would call if my dad was, you know, not doing well. She was the one taking care of the logistics because we were. Yeah, she would drive him we like, were, to appointments. She would drive him to rehab. She, yeah, she did all. She basically had a third child with my dad. Which, you know, she is a very spectacular. Well, and one thing about my mom is, if you're in her life, you're in her life forever, and she will literally do anything for you. So true. Especially if you have a kid with her. So true. Life hack: Have a kid with Jill; trust in it, and you're set for life. It's actually so like such a life hack. Yeah, she's great. But yeah, so we can just read this last little paragraph. Again, please call me tomorrow, Sunday. I already can feel my depression lifting a bit, just knowing that you're in a happy place. Please have a wonderful time in Key West. Enjoy your time with your aunts and uncles and cousins. Continue to celebrate a nice Hanukkah. Make it all about mommy and her birthday. And by all means, be sure to take complete advantage of Grandma Sylvia's and Grandpa Sam's generosity. Yes, let them spoil the bejesus out of you. You are lucky to have so many people who care about you so very much and who pretty much think you walk on water as I do. Again, my pumpkin and bug, I love you. Daddy. Once again, we both walk on water. You heard it here first, folks. So true. We literally are Jesus. Um, <laughs> please don't come at us for that. It's a joke. It's a joke. We respect all religions. Once again, that entire paragraph was three sentences. I just want to like point that out. yeah, he did he did love to equivocate. <laughs> I think this is kind of a good example of, um my dad feeling not like we didn't need him, but like we had everything we needed. Um, which I think he certainly felt at the end of his life, which I guess is where Anna's coming from when she says it. Partly where she's coming from when she says that she doesn't feel abandoned because my dad was very aware of the support system we had, and he he de- definitely did express his envy for you know. I think he felt very lucky and resentful. Yeah, I think he often repeated how lucky he felt that for my mom and for Danny and for especially like my grandparents and our extended family. For We have a huge family that's very cool. Making sure we have so much emotional support, but also he knew that we had resources, both financial and emotional, to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as he wanted to, he always said that he wanted to be my rock. And I think he also wanted to be like a provider. So he kind of knew that he was neither. And he also knew that I had other people doing that for me, which I think was difficult for him, but also was a relief for him. Mm-hmm. And I, he knew that and he stressed that often, which is why also I think, like Lily said, a big part of me not feeling abandoned by him is he often stressed that when he wasn't able to be there for me the way he wanted to, he knew and was grateful for the people who were able to be there. I think he left us knowing that. And it was intentional and very... Something that sets him apart from his dad in my mind, and I hope his mind too. I also just want to say that even though he definitely wasn't a provider, at least in the traditional sense, and at least in, you know, the later years. Yeah, I meant financially. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, of course, a big part of it was financial. And I think that, you know, it's hard for him that he couldn't be that financial provider. But um, he was always the one who edited our essays for college. So true. He made my resume for me. He would write, help me write cover letters. I mean, my dad did provide, you know, not just emotional support, not just our egos, but like he was a dad. And, you know, we, even in later years, if I needed to write a cover letter or if I or if I needed to like submit an essay, I had to teach him not to all but rewrite it and spend hours and hours agonizing over it because- he really, really wanted to contribute and he wanted... Yeah, and he always did. ...to be useful and he always did. He, you know, his, his writing skills certainly came in handy. Yeah. I think he always did his best. I think that he wished he could have done more, but I think he did what he was able and he always made sure we were in a position to get whatever we needed, even if it wasn't from him, which... We're very, very lucky for. And I think even though it was hard for him, he was always very graceful about the other people in our life. You know, I think our extended family, which he didn't really have. It was he he didn't always find his place in it, but he was very, very grateful to those people and loved those people Very, very much and would often talk about how grateful he was that we had that and how much he loved them for that and also just for them as people. I think Danny, that was probably something that was very difficult for him. But there's one thing I can say about my dad. He never once said a single bad thing about Danny. Never Never once. And, you know... My mom, my parents had a much better relationship than I think a lot of divorced parents had. He had a good relationship with my extended family. Every so often he'd, you know, say something that was like, I'd be a little bit like, mm, divorced parents, like sometimes they'll just say stuff about each other. And you're like, okay, like, I kind of wish you didn't say that. Was, mm-hmm. He was never like shit talking my mom, but there were just every so often. But Danny, he never once said a negative thing about, which I think is kind of amazing because I do think that he felt a little insecure, or like replaced by Danny at times. And Danny did take over the traditional dad role in many ways, but he was, as much as he probably had trouble with that, I think he was very grateful. And he he kind of conceded that role to Danny with a lot of grace, which I, I appreciate a lot. Him and Danny both, I think, treated each other with so much respect and gave each other so much room to perform the roles that they played in our lives. Yeah. So I'm really grateful. And like for Danny, for, you know, I think... I think it would also be easy to have anger towards my dad for the way that he treated my mom at times. Yeah. Um, And he always left so much room for whatever my dad could take on. Yes. And I'm very grateful to them both for that. And I think it's a pretty amazing thing that we had and continue to have. Yeah. So, yeah, there's (laughs) a lot there. That was definitely a tough one to start off with. I think also, like... um, this 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 specific piece of writing, it's obviously just an email, not really meant to show off his writing jobs, which not that this is like a literary podcast, but I think a big part of this is showing you guys my dad's writing and, um, you know, he was a very talented writer. Maybe next week we'll do a poem. (laughs) Maybe this week we'll do a poem or something. Not, I feel like I'm like, he's like, no guys, I promise. Like he's a really cool guy. You just have that. Yeah, there's a reason we call this Dead Dad Poet Society. Obviously this is not poetry, but I think. Nor is it as poetic as most of his writing is. True. I think it's just something that kind of shows a lot of. Our relationship, and also it's what he was struggling yeah. with, and it's important background info. Yeah, I really do think it's important background <sighs> info. I know that you guys Last have our background. Info you guys with. have to get to know the lore. Yeah, it's the lore before you can get. To this is the, the good Greg Cork lore, yeah. and not like the fun Greg Cork lore. No. there's more fun. There Greek is lore. fun Greg. As we learned at his celebration of life, there's a lot of fun Greg Cork lore. He was a fun guy. Yeah, I know. I, I like. I'd love to interview some of his friends because oh, yeah. that was like some really. And he wrote some beautiful things to a lot of people that people like. We're talking about his memorial and I feel like he wrote a lot of things that like changed lives. Even his texts were like hella poetic and like so deep and like honestly unnecessarily deep. Like it's like, okay, like you're just like letting me know that you're picking me up later, but somehow you're talking about how like the conception of the universe. Right. The conception of the universe is always entwined there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. There's always something about like irony and cynicism and the meaning of, You know, human nature and yes, relationships. So he did be he do be equivocating, and it was always fun. So this is not as like fun of an episode, but much to unpack. Like guys, I promise we're fun. I promise we're fun. It'll be so fun. So yeah, we promise that they will not all be as depressing as this, though some of them will be. Oh yeah, and they will not all be as straight to the point writing as this. Very few of the things he wrote were, were straightforward. <laughs> this is probably the most straightforward thing he's ever written. In so true. Life. It probably was. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for listening along on this journey. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on, on Dead, Dead Dad, Dad Poets Society. Poets Society. SI9, over knows nose, making a nest, fireflies, making butterflies. with you, making a real butterfly with you. She always slurs it so much, but that's it's realistic. It's realism. 4 L. <laughs> 9 tic-tac-toe, hippopotamus. Moi.